Hello to everyone. Hope everyone is doing well. We are certainly thankful that the Lord has allowed us another day, another opportunity to study the Word of God. And we certainly are thankful that the Lord allowed us the opportunity to record these um, and be able to look into the Word with you that listen. We're thankful for each one of you and our prayer is that the Lord would help you uh, to understand His Word and grow in knowledge. And may the Holy Ghost of God help me as we try to look through some Scripture and help you as well down in the depths of your heart to grow in the knowledge of the truth. And that's our desire. <clears throat> I have a desire to rightly divide the Word of God. I do not desire to be a deceiver to anybody. And our prayer is that we would rightly divide the Word of God by the true direction of the Holy Spirit. So we finished last Wednesday the study of the feasts of the Old Testament, those seven that we looked at. I hope everyone was strengthened and helped by that lesson. Certainly, there's wonderful pictures of the work of Christ in those remembering that God gave those to Moses and God gave those with the intent to reveal portions, parts of the work that God was going to perform in His Son Jesus. So that revelation we can look back on today and see our Savior in those feasts, festivals, and holy days. And I realize we just were weak in our ability to bring out these hidden things. And I, <clears throat> I know there's certainly a whole lot more there than what we were able to bring out. I pray the Lord opened it up to you, that you saw things that we did not. And pray that you were strengthened through the Word. So it was requested by a listener that for the next study we look at Elijah and Elisha the prophets of the Old Testament. And I don't think it's arguable that these two men were two of the most, if not the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament in outward works. Now, God manifested Himself greatly in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, in Daniel, in all of these men by what great prophecies and revelations that they had. But in outward works, these men had some of the most powerful works that we see in the Old Testament. And I recognize that God wrought many great works through the hand of Moses, his servant. But Elijah and Elisha are going to work works that up till their time had never, uh, never been wrought before. And we'll see that as we look through this study. But first, we would like to see the state of Israel before Elijah makes his appearance. So, if you'd like to look with us, we're in 1 Kings chapter 16. So, 1 Kings chapter 16, we'll pick up in verse 29. And I, I think it's worth noting before we read that remember the kingdom is split at this point and has been for a pretty good while. 
There all twelve tribes of Israel served David the king and his son Solomon the king. And when Solomon's son Rehoboam took over uh, in Solomon's room after he died, Rehoboam would not lighten the load and the burden upon the people, and the kingdom split. Ten tribes split, and that is known through the Old Testament as the kingdom of Israel from that time on. And the other, which was Benjamin and Judah, those two tribes stayed loyal to the house of David, and they served Rehoboam, the king, and that kingdom was known as the kingdom of Judah. So you have the kingdom of Judah, which is Benjamin and Judah, and the Levites who served God at Jerusalem. And then you have the other kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, which was the other ten tribes of Israel. And you had two separate kings, and, and all of these things were separate. And I'm sure you know that far better than I do. But at this point, the kingdom is split. And in verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 16, And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria in twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal, and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So a state of the nation of Israel. And when it mentions Jeroboam, when the kingdom split and ten tribes left the house of David, they served under King Jeroboam. And Jeroboam outlawed any trips to Jerusalem to worship God, remembering that in Jerusalem was where the temple was. That's where God commanded offerings to be made. He, he outlawed going to Jerusalem to serve. All of the Levites that were the priests, which were chosen of God, he put out of office, and we'll see that a little bit later. And they went to Jerusalem that they could serve God in truth. And he set up two calves. So instead of serving God at the temple, as God commanded, on the holy days, he set up two golden idols that the people would go and worship at. So in the very first king, they began to migrate from serving God to serving idols. And here Ahab takes over the king kingdom of Israel. And while he serves it as king, and, and you heard as we read, he did evil above all that were before him. And so he was an evil king to begin with. And he was provoking God to anger. And then 
Ahab went and married a Gentile woman, Jezebel, who was the daughter of the king of Zidonians, a Gentile nation that had Baal for a god. And then he began to serve Baal, and he constructed a house to Baal. He constructed an idol of Baal and set it up. He made a grove where that Baal could be worshipped. And done more evil again, it, he repeats it in the word of God, to provoke God to anger than all of the kings that were before him. This was a, a, a an evil man opposed to God, and all that was going on was worse than anything that had ever been seen in the nation of Israel in opposition to God, God's word, God's men. So this was a, a, a very dark time in Israel, a time that God was rejected from the king's palace. And remembering this, that Baal, you know, we, we read of Baal through the Old Testament, and I, I believe we could sum it up and fit it to our lives today, that Baal was a type of prosperity and pleasure in the flesh. Worshipping Baal was doing as the flesh pleased, and they, they, they may have served him in many different ways and in many different means, but remember that serving and pleasing the flesh is the same as worshipping and pleasing Baal. Baal accepted whatever that they offered in their mind. Now, Baal was no god, but it was that that would ease the conscience that as they served the flesh, they were pleasing their God. And certainly there's a lot of people that serve Baal today. They're doing what they desire in the flesh, and in their mind, God's accepting them, and God's pleased with them. Now that's not true. That's a lie. And the God they're serving is not the God of the Bible. It is Baal. And yet there, that is where that Israel was in this time. They had in Samaria, now Samaria was the central, kind of the capital city of the kingdom of Israel, those northern tribes. And there he had built a temple to Baal. There was no temple to God in the northern kingdom. He built a temple to Baal, he set Baal up, and he worshipped him there. Now the king setting the example, and boy, in the United States of America, our kings, our presidents, they're setting a great example, aren't they? An example of serving the flesh and telling people that everything's going to be alright and that God is okay with all manner of service in the flesh. Now that's not true. It doesn't matter who says it or what authority that they have. That is not the truth. God's revealed himself in the word. And I promise God was angry with the provocation that Ahab did. God is angry with sin today in the same way. Now, judgment's not going to fall on Ahab immediately. Judgment's not going to fall on America immediately. But remember that God is angry with the way that His Word and His truth is treated. And it's not looked over today. So the king of Israel 
great wickedness. Wickedness that, and, and any way we say it is going to be understated. Know this, it's more wicked now than it ever had been. And boy, that fits today very well, doesn't it? And in his days, this is verse 34, chapter 16. In his days did Hiel, the son, the, the Bethelite, build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. So if you remember, when Israel came across Jordan, the first city that they took, and this is as they've come out of Egypt, they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, now they've crossed over Jordan under the leadership of Joshua, and Jericho is the first city that they come to. They march around the walls, the walls fall in, and Israel destroys the city. And Joshua says, Cursed be the man that buildeth this city. So here in Ahab's day now, they're defying the very words of God, the words of the man of God, and Hael says, I'm going to rebuild Jericho. So not only are they serving other gods, but they're willing to openly defy what God said in the face of God. Now it sounds like that he started building when his youngest son was born, and he set the gates in his uh, in his youngest. But that's not the case. He's talking about their death. So as he begins to build, his oldest son dies. And as he's setting up the gates in completion, his youngest son dies. Just exactly like Joshua the son of Nun had prophesied. But that don't deter the evil that's ongoing in this day. So you've got a wicked king, a king that's opposed to God in every way, and a king that is openly bowing down to an idol in the capital city of the nation. And remember, this is not Babylon. This is not the Assyrians. This is the kingdom of Israel. You got the king that's doing more to provoke God than any king before him. You've got a man openly defying God's prophecy and God's commandment and God's curse and rebuilding Jericho. I think it's safe to say that this was a great day of darkness and evil in the nation of Israel. And yet... For times of great evil, all through the Old Testament, God raises up a great prophet. And we can call back to remembrance down in Egypt that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was greatly afflicting the people with taskmasters, making their work to be brutal work, and finishing up with destroying every man-child that was born to Israel. They were casting their children in the river that they would die. So a great time of uh, evil in that day, and God raised up Moses. In Eli and his son's days, they were fornicating at the doors of the temple, robbing people's sacrifices. Great evil in the temple of the Lord in that day. And God raises up 
a Samuel. Israel's going to go into captivity, and this is after this, down in Babylon for 70 years. And their home place is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. They're no longer in Jerusalem. And yet, God raises up a great prophet even in Babylon, Daniel. And here, here during these wicked days of Ahab, God raises up a great prophet, Elijah. So in 1 Kings 17, this is where we first see Elijah. And we'll read verse 1. And notice this now. Elijah has not been mentioned before this point. Elijah, um, we don't have any record of him until this chapter and this verse. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So Elijah steps really out of nowhere with no introduction, and he doesn't step out uh, in a hidden place. He's not in an outskirt city, but Elijah appears in the face of the king. And he's speaking the word of God in the king's house. So, we, we have this of Elijah, that he is the Tishbite. And Elijah's name means, My God Jehovah is He. So Tishbite, there's not a lot of understanding exactly what that means. And he was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Gilead was a, a territory <clears throat> that was on the other side of Jordan. If you remember, when the Israelites came to take Canaan's land, there was two tribes, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the tribe of Gad that didn't want to cross Jordan. They said, we'll take this land for us before they ever crossed in uh, into the promised land. And it was those two tribes that they went in and helped fight, but they were on the far side of Jordan. Well, that's where Gilead was, in the territory divided between Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So it would be safe to say that Elijah was either from the tribe of Gad or the half-tribe of Manasseh. We don't know that. We don't have any record of who his parents were, of what tribe he was from. We don't have any record of when he was born, how old he was here. We don't know anything about this man other than here he steps out, out of nowhere, in the face of the king. And so I think in itself... Certainly the information that God gives us is important, but also what God chooses not to reveal is important as well. And, you know, it doesn't matter who this man is. It doesn't matter what tribe he's from. It doesn't matter uh, who his parents were. doesn't matter what his younger life was like. What matters is this man has stepped out giving the Word of God. And I think you've got a picture and a type and a shadow here of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who didn't have beginning or end of days. He just stepped out of Scripture. 
and he stepped out of it, and he's never heard from again. We don't have record of his birth nor his death, which we know that was a type of the Lord Jesus, if not the Lord Jesus appearing before his advent in the flesh. And so here, Elijah doesn't have beginning or uh, of days. We have no record of who he was, where he was from. But we know this. This man is a man of God. So let's listen then to what he says. And you know, we've got a, a, a little record here, and I don't know if this is his exact words to the king, or if this is a summary of all that Elijah said to Ahab when he appeared. But either way, there's a whole lot right here. So he said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth. So in that statement, he's letting Ahab know Baal is not the God, and the gods that you serve, the gods that your wife serves, those are not God. But there is one God, the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah. He is the God of Israel no matter what you say. There's nothing, Ahab, that you're able to do that's going to remove God from his seat of authority and from his rule over Israel. There's no power that you have to cast God out of his throne. So even though the worship of God, especially in the king's house, had ceased and a temple was built to Baal and Baal was the one being served, God was still God and God was still going to bring judgment. Though man may try to vote God out, we're going to vote God's word out. We're going to overrule all that God says. And we're going to cast God's worship by the wayside. That does not remove God from the throne. And man is still accountable to God himself. So he begins his speech with the Lord God of Israel. Ahab, it doesn't matter what Baal says. It doesn't matter what the prophets of Baal say. The God of Israel, the God, the one in authority, the supreme divinity, the one with all power, this God has said. And he says, before whom I stand, Elijah is not some random person. Elijah is God's man. And God's man is standing in the room of God, speaking as a mouthpiece for God. And that is what a true prophet is. A true prophet stands and speaks by the direction and the inspiration of God himself. Whether that's telling the future, and certainly we have prophets that do plenty of that through the Old Testament, or whether that's what uh, Elijah's doing here and declaring what's happening unto Ahab. Either way, the prophet is one that is standing and being directed by God so that what Elijah hears, or what Ahab hears, I'm sorry, what Ahab hears from Elijah is coming from a man's voice. But this is God speaking through this man.
And in the gospel, that's what we have in the gospel today, through the Bible, the Word of God, though this was penned by man, and though a man is standing and preaching the gospel, God's man, called of God, will speak by the direction and the inspiration of God. Elijah is God's man. He's standing before God, and he is speaking God's word unto Ahab. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. And before we go on, before we look at the dew nor rain, we have scripture that Paul wrote that's evidence of what we just said in 2 Corinthians 5, and we've looked at this a few times, but just very quickly, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So Paul says, God's performed this work in Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit, He's made me and these men of God ambassadors for the Lord Jesus. They are representatives for Him. And God is beseeching man to come to this salvation through these men that He's ordained. It's the same way God's always worked. Man today in his pride, well, I'll never listen to what a man says. Well, Ahab, if he's going to escape judgment, he's going to have to listen to what a man says. And today, if we are going to escape judgment, we'll listen to what one of God's men say. And now, now if what they stand and say is not the word of God, And what they represent is not the truth. You may be looking at a prophet of Baal instead of a man of God. But Elijah makes it known that I'm standing, serving, and speaking for the one God of Israel. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. So the judgment then. Remember the state of Israel and the direction that they were heading in, God's going to bring something, and it's going to be natural. God's going to bring something natural upon Israel that would open their eyes and open their hearts to what God thinks about their actions. And this is going to be dew or rain. Now, if, if God had just brought this famine and times were just going to be tough, it wouldn't bring people or their minds unto the God of Israel, but they would be begging Baal for assistance, and no doubt they're going to do that here. But God speaks this through Elijah, making it known that he's the one doing it and why it's coming to pass, so that as everything begins to dry up, they say, now, that's what Elijah said was going to happen. And God's going to receive the glory for the work. God's going to bring judgment. He's going to make it known why this has came. He's going to make it known who is the one behind it. Certainly God's behind 
all things. And there shall not be rain, but according to my word. There's not going to be a shower nor dew until I say it again. Now you talk about a statement. But that is as God directed this man to speak. And we know God directed him because this was the truth. The interesting thing about no dew or rain, it's not something that immediately affects everybody. This day, and probably the next week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe there wasn't a whole lot thought about it. But the longer time went, the worse this situation got. The longer that it didn't rain, and there was no dew, the more the rivers, the creeks, the brooks, and the streams dried out. And it's, it's a slow effect. It's not something that's instant. And you know, I think God's giving opportunity for repentance. God's not immediately destroying. He's not immediately casting down. But there's opportunity to turn to the Word of God. And remember this, there's not going to be any rain until Elijah says otherwise. In James 5, now remember, God's the one behind every bit of this. God's the one behind his man. But we have this in the New Testament. In James chapter 5, I'm sure very familiar scripture. Verse 17, Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So Elijah, a man stirred up by God, stirred to jealousy. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. God heard his prayer and withheld the rain, remembering that his desire was that God be glorified and that the hearts of the people would be turned back unto the God of Israel. He prayed to that end. God heard and God shut up the heavens. And it did not rain until Elijah prayed again. And We'll see as we look. We know why he prayed again. God told him it was time. So this is a man that's following God, following God's direction, and yet he prays. I think the necessity of prayer cannot be understated by any man. God's people, though directed, though called, though ordained, by God himself for a work. God's people ought to be a people of prayer, seeking God's hand, direction, power, strength in all things. We have lots of scripture to back that up all through the New Testament. God's people ought to be a praying people that we not lean to our own understanding, but that we look to God and His direction in His Word. When I begin to assume that I know everything, then I can't be taught anything. 
I need God to help me to realize how little and how weak that I am. When I begin to think that I have strength to do well, then I'll fall. I need to pray that God always help and strengthen and keep me from falling by His power. We need Him in all ways and in all things. And Elijah, this great man of God that steps out of nowhere into the king's house and begins to speak the word of God, it's going to not rain by his prayer. It's going to rain again by his prayer. And he was a man just like me and you. Now, what power do you or I have to stop rain? We got no power. It's an impossible task, truth be told. And yet he prayed, God heard and did. So in the New Testament, that proves that you and I can pray unto God and our prayers take effect. God hears, God works through the prayers of the people. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to pray that it not rain for three years and it not rain. That was the direction for the day that Elijah was in. But we can certainly pray, God hear the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Don't let the devil tell you that prayer is overrated and of no value. Elijah was a man and he prayed and God heard and God answered. Now, what cause do we have who are men and women as we are today that we would pray and God not hear? I don't, I don't believe that for a minute. And so I, I realize we've covered very little scripture. We're about 30 minutes in. Maybe we'll stop for this week right here and pick up with God's instruction after, this, after him appearing unto Ahab. I believe this will be a very enjoyable study. Uh, looking forward to getting deeper into the Scripture. I hope the Lord will help you through this as we watch the lives of Elijah as well as Elisha here in, in just a few days. And there are mighty works that God wrought through their hands. Hope you have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless you if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Hope you're blessed with wonderful services tonight. Pray for the church and for the men of God laboring to preach the gospel and pray for us.